Hi, Brandon. Hi. I'm not real happy right now. What's going on, man? Have you been outside in the last three or four days? Yeah, it's been pretty brutal. <laughs> it's horrible. I am so ready for summer. Like I, you know, we've talked about it a lot in the past, like fall in the season and scarves and pumpkin spice lattes and all those things. But I just, I cannot get into fall. Yeah. It's all fun until it's 20 degrees. Right. Like there, there's that week, uh, maybe like three days where it's pretty, like the trees, the leaves, the colors, mm-hmm. it's nice. But then it rains, it snows, you have wet leaves everywhere. It's muddy. I've got snow melting in my garage. Like it's just, I'm over it. And we've got like six more months of this. I know. So I know. Um, so it's a it's a really down day. Yeah. Did you see the other downer this last weekend? No, what happened? Who hot? Mm. Closed. I did see that permanently for good. How do you feel about that? I think honestly, for our guests, a moment of silence. Mm, let's do that. Yeah, I have so many memories. Of Wuhan. <laughs> like, it was like the go-to place for so many years. And for any teenage boy or like into your twenties and thirties, you can't get more bang for your buck. Yeah, than it was so nice. Yeah, and you can't blame. You can't say the food's not good because you are responsible for what you eat. Exactly. You know? Exactly. So that, that's sad. It's but, a sad day um, for overeating. Yeah. So yeah, I know climate. Difficult, both figuratively and fiscally here in Missoula right now. But there are other businesses that are thriving. Okay. That are growing. Um, I love the stories on this podcast of the businesses that nobody even knows about. You don't really know they exist, but they're just kicking butt Mm -hmm. just here in Missoula. And that's what I love about today's episode with Hank Donovan, CEO, owner, founder, wears all the hats of Rattlesnake Cables. Mm -hmm. Uh, based right out right here in Missoula, Montana, just centrally located. And the guy's a machine. Yeah. He is a busy dude. And he has a, a really cool story of being in the underground music scene that you'll get into in the episode. But he never stops. He never sleeps. He's he's so active. Really fun episode. Take a listen. Hank, welcome to the show. Yeah, thanks for having me. Awesome. Well, why don't you start us from the beginning and tell us some of your first experiences with Missoula uh, when you came here and from the start, and then we'll, we'll, okay. we'll go there. All right. Uh, so I, I moved here when I was one or less than one. I was born in Billings and uh, lived through uh, until I was eight, third grade, and I moved to Great Falls and moved to Kalispell and Lakeside and then moved back to Missoula. At a certain point, so I was 21 when I moved to Missoula. Been here ever since. Um, spent one year in California. That was the year I graduated high school, and I was like, "I'm You're out coming of here." Back. All right. You know, a year and a half later, I was like, "Oh man, I miss it." And then I came back, and yeah, so I did. When you moved back at 21, was that for college? Was that for working? Yeah. So I moved when I uh, graduated high school, so I was 18. So it was like 19 and a half, almost 20 when I moved back. It was just, just a. Uh, it's just time to move back. Yeah. I wasn't going, I never went to school. Mm-hmm. So I just graduated high school. And that's about the furthest education I've had. Yeah. That's awesome. Uh, what, do you, what was your first job when you came to Missoula? 
Oh, first job, uh, Zimmerino's. Zimmerino's. What was yeah. that? Uh, Italian restaurant. I don't remember. Yeah. I remember Zimmerino's. This, this might be before my time. Yeah, Zimmerino's. Zim's was around uh, uh, the 70s, I think 79, 78 when it started, all through the 80s. Uh, and then uh, uh, was sold in the mid 90s, late 90s, and then came back at, at different iterations. It was in Our Lee for a while. It was like Zimmerino's, Our Lee Grill. And, and then came back in. Uh, the pizza there, for, over for on Broadway. Pizza. Yeah, that, pizza. Was, that was like the the final yeah. version of it. But at one point, it was uh, where uh, uh, the bicycle hangar is. Yeah, right next to Charlie's. Yep, that whole building was Zimmerino's. All three floors. Whoa, um, all the way to the back, too. So you know, right now that that little spot only just goes halfway, like the bicycle hangar. And then there's a full kitchen custom in the back. kitchen back there. Yeah, so that was dining room and kitchen back in the mm. day, and two floors above were offices and banquet hall. Gotcha. So cooking is a big part of my life, actually, in the, in those days. Uh, dishwashing, cooking, prep cooking, huge part. Huge part of my business today, actually. We'll probably get into that later. Just as far as aspects of customer service and sure. product development and uh, customer expectation, buyer experience. So you didn't go to traditional college, but you essentially got a business degree. Oh, yeah. Working in yeah. the restaurant industry. And- I'm also a pod guy. So I, I listen to marketing business podcasts like yeah. all the time. So yeah. I always joke around. I, I graduated from the university of Mount Sentinel because I go up <laughs> top of the Mount Sentinel, like listen that. to podcasts and just absorb and then uh-huh. come back and apply. Saved yourself 50 grand. <laughs> what, pretty, what are some of those smart. podcasts that you enjoy? Who do you listen um, to? Agents of Change is, is one I really like. It's a, uh, it's Portland, Maine. Uh, great interviews with a variety of entrepreneurs or Marketing business, it's just every episode is a different facet of uh, online commerce, e-commerce. Other one is uh, Alex Hermosi. Mm-hmm. You guys. Oh, yeah. yeah. So I listen to that. I listen to that guy a lot. So, uh, yeah. And then Steven I just- Steven sends me Alex's podcast a lot and says, <laughs> yeah. you need to listen to this. I don't know if it's ever done anything for his life, but Steven thinks I need it. So. Yeah. Well, it's good. He's simple. He simplifies uh, yeah. some pretty complex stuff. Yep. Yep. Um, okay. So I know you got into the music scene Mm -hmm. at some point. Was that when you got here to Missoula or were you already pretty musically inclined before? Well, I got my first guitar when I was 18 and, uh, I was a huge, huge music fan through high school. It was was that point where like music becomes absolutely everything in your life. Yeah. But I didn't play, you know? So I was from an observer consuming. I'm interrupting here. Who were you listening to at that time frame in your life? Uh, it was always punk rock or post-punk or goth. Really? So it's, it's one of those cures. The cure is still like a huge, huge fan for me. Okay. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, you know, I went from, you know, junior high, I was super into metal and Metallica. And then that morphed into like harder punk rock. And then someone handed me a Smith's tape and I was like, oh man, this is like not heavy at all, but heavy in a different emotional sense. Mm-hmm. And uh, that's where I think like music where took me to a different spot beyond just like, Oh, it's got a great beat. You can dance to it. I was like going into like sad songs or angry songs or like, why is that? And then the next version of it is I want to play those things, Sure, you know? And uh, so when I got a guitar and started learning how to play some of my favorite bands uh, and trying to crack that code, you know, um, there, there's a, there's a part where when you become a musician, it ruins your ability to listen because you're just trying to like reproduce that sound and dissect the song or figure out how, why it sounds that way. Where before it was just magic. You listen mm-hmm. to it. It's like you yeah. felt something that was always really cool. Um, but yeah, so by the time I moved to Missoula, I was doing open mics and writing my own songs and mm-hmm. 
solo kind of songwriter with effects kind of thing in in search of a band. Mm-hmm. Um, where, and where were the places to play at that time? Oh man! So we're talking. This is a long time ago. We're talking ninety. I, I moved here January one, nineteen ninety three. So I mean, he aged himself. Do you hear him say he got handed a tape? Yeah, it wasn't a CD or you got a tape. I was just one step away from eight track. I know <laughs> it's brutal. Uh, so back then it was a place called Maxwell's, which is the Badlander now. Okay. You know, so it was, it's been like three different bars since then. And all the cool punk rock shows used to be, uh, used to be a place called trends with the Z in the end, but that was the palace downstairs. Ah. Um, so I used to see all sorts of just great, great music there. And I was moving from Kalispell at the time and Kalispell had nothing. So in Missoula was the big, big city. Kalispell still has yeah, nothing. Yeah. yeah, I didn't <laughs> want to say that. You said it. But uh, that's very true, though. But uh, when, when I came to Missoula, it was like moving to New York City or something. Yeah, and sure. there was I couldn't believe there was local bands and there were like bands playing weird music instead of just country tunes or cover bands. And that immediately I started, you know, having friends that were in that scene. And, you know. Hank, was that the dream for you? Was that the goal that you wanted to be? musician and artist Um, with a band at that time in the 90s for sure you know that was in the days too where you can make it get signed you know all those nirvana just happened in 1992 or 91 with uh smells like teen spirit so that whole northwest seattle thing was a a thing where as a a young band it was like oh that could be us that could be the next thing where you know nowadays it doesn't that doesn't happen right it's a whole different thing which i actually enjoy a lot more yeah, where it just, you know, just create. That's all you need to do is just create. Uh, so it was very competitive in a sense. And it was also very demoralizing back then because you'd send, you know, demo tapes and get rejection letters or never hear back. Or um, it just felt like, a, a, you know, like winning the lottery to do anything successful in music. So there's a point where you just fall back and say, well, why am I doing it? And either you quit and say, I'm never going to do it again. Or you say, I, I do it because I'm an artist. I'm, I want to make music. Mm-hmm. right and then of course you find all these other people feel the same way as you do yeah. and hopefully you have the same taste and that person plays drums and that person plays bass and you get together and uh and you're happens. working still like zimmerinos during this time like uh yeah Zim's you're working you're getting a shift off on a friday night then you're heading to go play a yep. show yep yep jay's upstairs too okay. which is the loft now yeah but that used to be like the grossest awesomest bar <laughs> in town amazing shows there that was like late 90s and early 2000s and uh yeah yeah definitely working and uh there was a point where my wife amy who's a huge part of rattlesnake uh worked at zimmerinos also and there was a point where i was the back of the house and she was the front of the house and we would sit there at the end of the night lock up count the till everyone's out we'd have a beer and we'd just be sitting there like what are we doing we didn't have any kids we were married and uh it just felt super dead end. I, I didn't want to own a restaurant. Everyone would just sit there and, you know, oh, you're a cook. You like cooking. Therefore, you should own a restaurant. Mm-hmm. And I knew how difficult the restaurant game is. And I, I knew I just didn't have what it took and I didn't want to deal with it and, and wasn't me. So we just sat there and we were just trying to figure out, like, how can we get out of the restaurant? And you know, she got into real estate. I decided I was going to start this business called 10 to one, which I was going to like come up with 10 different businesses. And one of them was going to make it. And one of them was going to get me out. And I was like web development. I was doing uh, show promotion. I was silk screening t-shirts. I even made bird houses. That was one of the ones um, I was trying to make a hot sauce thing. I was just like, just trying anything, just make, just do stuff. Mm-hmm. And web development was what got me out. So I 
started working on websites, immediately got a job. Uh, this would be like 99 working in a firm in town. And that's sent me that way. She went into real estate and we were both like out of the, out of the restaurant and we were going to like get our lives together. We, we already owned a house, but we didn't have kids. And, and that was like kind of the direction at that point. Gotcha. Yeah. So as you transition into building websites, working for other people, when did you decide, no, I, I do want to do my own thing. Like how yeah. many years were you at, at were so you at that firm? All the way from, from like 99 to 2003 ish, I worked for two different web development firms. And at that point I said, I'm going to just do my own. So from like 2004, all the way until 2018, really, I had my own web development firm and I was having clients and oddly enough, I felt that was a dead end job. Mm -hmm. And, uh, I felt very unsatisfied with uh, programming, uh, just putting stuff on hard drives, uh, websites being obsolete in two years, one year, you know, three years, whatever. Having to learn the next hot new code language or, or whatever, and constantly going with the change of technology, it just felt very unfulfilling. And then at the same time, I had all these friends that were musicians, and also had a uh, a good set of friends that built guitars and actually had businesses that built pedals. And I was like, you guys are actually building something like something real, mm. something to outlive you. And, you know, hundred years from now, someone's mm. going to like, who made this guitar, you know? And, uh, that felt real and I wanted to go that way. And, uh, so I dabbled in pedals. I'd never wanted, I built one guitar in my life. And it was super fun, but uh, I realized I never wanted to do that. It, was was, it? it, was, it was, was really long. Yeah, it was it, difficult. I yeah. was having like panic attacks of different stages of the guitar because each stage you 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 refine the guitar further further. Like the neck took months, and then the last job was to drill the little dots things in. Like you don't want to mess that up, right? Like it, just, yeah. it was three months worth of work to get to this point. And you know the people I was working with are just like you know you get used to that. And I was like I was having nightmares about it. And uh, I was like measuring five times and trying to drill once, you know, <laughs> where, where's that guitar today? I still have it. So you play it. Is it? Yep. That's yeah. awesome. Yeah. Yeah. I still play it. Uh, it's, it's, it's a great guitar. I have a lot of pride in that. It just started off as two chunks of wood. Yeah. Right. It wasn't a kit. It wasn't like half shaped. It was literally two chunks of wood that we got it at the hardware store and put it together. And, uh, that was amazing. That was with Ryan Ruckavina, who's a was a you know great luthier in town. He lives in Anaconda now, but uh, it was an interesting class. It took six months, and I basically he built the same guitar in front of me, so I followed each one of his steps. He'd make this cut. Now it's my turn to make the cut. Wow! Then, so it was just piece by piece, and just late nights, and amazing. But I realized that's not for me. Yeah, you know. And I was I'm more of an electronics guy, not a wood guy. Wood, wood just feels too organic and too, uh, you lose control of it. Like, you know, and it also has a mind of its own, you know, there's grain and there's knots and there's like behaviors that, that why wood guys like wood. I, I like things to be consistent and always the same. Electronics is more my thing. That's awesome. And I know from there that you change and pursued something on your own and you're not in a dead end job now. And I want to come back to that, but before we get to that part of the story, I want to hop into our, Oh yeah. Our rapid five questions, rapid yeah. six, however many there are. We don't know what they're called or how many there are. Hank, we just kind of, <laughs> we got to just know it's rapid. So, so what, uh, what was your first memory of Missoula when you, when you got here, when you mm -hmm. arrived, what stood out about Missoula? 
Uh, I always remember there, there's a very, very distinct memory of uh, being a very little kid at the university. And it was some kind of art program where I was working with college students. I must have been four or five years old, blindfolded out in, in somewhere outside uh, in, the, in, the, in the campus where there, we were collecting maples, uh, maple seeds. And then we took them to the top of the building. The whole thing was you had blindfold and all these kids are trying to grab them. And then we take it to the top of the building and we let them go and they're helicoptering down. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, just very, very vivid memory of that. Wild. Uh, what's your favorite go-to coffee spot in Missoula? Go-to coffee? Uh, drum. Drum. Southside. He's a musician. Musician. I should have known that. Come on, Steven. <laughs> that was it. Um, favorite restaurant? Favorite restaurant. Man. That is a tough one because they just keep going away. The ones that are, the ones that I, <laughs> no. the ones that I love all just seem to go away. It's evolving. The food uh, scene here in Missoula. Yeah. Um, I'm going to go, I'm still going to go old school. Dino. Dino. Wow. Yeah. yeah. We haven't got that one. Yeah. That's a true. Oyster po' boy. I mean, slam dunk every time. It's amazing. Uh, I think Andrea mentioned. I think Dino she said Cafe. the same thing. She yeah. brought up, she did bring that up. Nice. Yeah. yeah. Uh, what zip code do you live in? 801. 801. Original. OG. Uh, what's the weirdest thing about Missoula to you? Weirdest thing about Missoula. And you can love it too. I mean, we love all the weird stuff as well, but. Yeah. Um, Got to keep Missoula uh, weird, Hank. Octopus. You guys know him? Mm -mm. No. No, tell us no, more. Yeah, tell us <laughs> about go. Octopus. <laughs> Well, in the '90s, there was all these these weird characters, and there, there there's you know the preacher, oh. and there was but the octopus is a grandmaster chess. Oh no! Chess yes, yes, yes. We I can do picture know. him. I know who yeah. he is. Yes. And, and you just see him walking the street with his bag. You know, he's got pocket protector and carrying the bag and glasses, but he's a grandmaster. Yeah, yeah. I've always wanted to, you know. I'll never do it, but there was always a time where like one day I'll play him chess. And there was a, a, a friend of mine in the nineties that we were at Finnegan's or Perkins or whatever it is now across the rattlesnake mm -hmm. uh, post post drinking all night, two in the morning, we're all sitting in a booth. And my friend was a really good chess player. I mean, like really good smoke me all the time. I'm not good. So that wasn't a big deal. We should play. Cause neither am I. Yeah. And um, we see him over there in the booth. And he goes, I'm going to go play. You used to be able to pay him five bucks and he'll play anybody. And he had a little magnet chessboard. He always has a chessboard with him all the time. And I was like, great. Yeah, have fun. Hope you beat him. And then he like leaves. And I'm like ha having a conversation with everyone. And it's like two minutes later, he's sitting back there. I'm like, I thought you were playing. He's like, yeah, it's over. <laughs> it's just like, wow. Two in the morning. Smoked you. Wow. Wild. But, yeah. It's a great story. What do you love the most about Missoula? Uh, that's always changing too. Um, you know, the, the people here are always great. Uh, raising kids in Missoula is out of control, the best place. And that's one reason why, when my wife and I lived here and we were thinking about having kids, I never wanted to move because I moved when I was in third grade mm -hmm. and that, and up to third grade, I thought it was a magical place to grow up. Yeah. And so when we had our kids, I was like, I don't want to move. Um, the music scene, uh, is fantastic. Um, the only thing I, that, that has the flip side to that question is the worst thing about Missoula is also that everyone leaves. Mm -hmm. So it makes so many amazing friends and, you know, bandmates and musicians and just lifelong friends. And, you know, they're going to school or, you know, going to graduate school. And then it's like, you, you know, them for five, six years and they're like, Oh, they're off to Portland or they're off to New York or whatever. And you're just like, ah, oh, why are these people leaving? Yeah. You know? Mm -hmm. So yeah, I would say the people uh, is great. And uh, 
great place for kids. But my kids are all grown up now, so I have to like phase them. Like, what are my other favorites? Your kids stick around? Are they still in town? Or yeah, well, I mean, my daughter is a senior in high school, so okay. she's still around, but she's itching to leave. And my <laughs> my son's a uh, 22, and he's going to the U, okay. so he's sticking around. But he, yeah, he's got a sweet little apartment. It's awesome. Yeah. What's the uh, most recent book you've read? Um. Wow. Okay. Uh. Well, the Hermosi. Uh, million dollar million dollar leads. leads. Uh, I just read that. Just read well. that, and then I, I just um, I'm almost done with the essentialism book. Nice. So, what what what's an essentialism book? Uh, it's a it's it's lifestyle slash business. It's just basically trying to figure out like what's important in uh, your crazy life and trying to like distill things down to the essential important things to like make things economical mm-hmm. and uh, efficient in your time. You know, where everyone has like a million, their to-do lists and their, pri- they have, you know, 20 priorities, but technically you know, it's just have one priority, right? So mm-hmm. everyone writes, a, you know, 10 priority items. Um, so that book kind of like leans to that. It's going to, it's really hard to adopt some of the things just because I have 10 priorities and uh, I can't get it down to one you sure. know, a, a day or whatever. I, I'm adding this question, just music guy. I'd imagine you get out to Kettle House a few times a year. Mm-hmm. What's the last, what's the most recent show you went to? Uh, most recent show I was, cause it's been a while since I've been there. Uh, Pixies, not this last one. So 2019. Okay. Um, there was a little butcherettes one too. I think they were like side by side. But I can't remember. Okay. Where do you go watch music in Missoula? Usually typically, go uh, the Zach, mm-hmm. I see a lot of shows there. Um, our monks. So I'm definitely more in, you know, versus the big, big yeah. shows. Yeah. I see a lot of a uh, more local, Small local stuff. and you know, just the hardworking touring bands that are playing, you know, the top hat or the Wilma also. Uh, yeah. But you know, and you every- can relate, you were there once, you know, the hustle, the grind. And so I think it's awesome that you're yeah. going in oh, yeah. supporting those. Are you, do you still have an active band that you're playing in? Not right now. No, it's right now. It's kind of on hiatus, but mm-hmm. you know, it could come back. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So uh, you're working at the restaurant, then you go into web development. You're not finding a lot of meaning in that. It sounds like then you dabble with some, some pedals and some guitaring, making guitar, guitaring, <laughs> uh, making guitars. Uh, then when's the big transition come to the genesis of your business? Yeah. So what happened and to take us through that? Well, I was making the pedals and the pedals were great. So I was, I was, I was selling them, uh, to a few musicians, but they are challenging because, uh, you would make a pedal and if everything goes right, it works. Right. Just, it's just, there's a lot of pieces and if something goes sideways, it could take hours, days, weeks to figure it out. So you really try to figure out how to come up with the process. So it's just very streamlined and you know, you can almost do it with your eyes closed. That takes a lot of reps. And, and I didn't have a ton of those reps and it was slightly frustrating. And one day I thought I would make a cable for myself. I was thinking, okay, that's technically four solder joints I'd have to make. And a pedal could have like 200 Mm. solder connections. I was like, this should be easy. And plug in my first cable and it doesn't work. I take it apart and the solder joints are already broken on it. I mean, this is like, I don't, I don't understand. I'd solder all day long and I can't get this to work. And it's just, it's a different metal and it's a different heat and different thicknesses of wires. And took me a little while. I finally got it and I could not believe how great the cable sound because the cable impacts your sound of the guitar. A lot of people don't 
know that, especially if, you know, if you're not a musician or, um, you know, you just think it's just, oh, it's just connecting and it makes sound, but it does impact the, the signal. Um, so our cable, the, what we use is what we call low capacitance cable, which uh, keeps your high end coming through the frequencies. And if you have a cheaper cable and it's a, you know, or I say high capacitance, low capacitance, what we make, if you get a high capacitance cable, then it like adds um, low end frequency. So it sounds like there's a carpet over your amp. Then when you get a high end cable, you pull it off and it's just like, oh, it sounds so crispy and like bright and punchy. And it's, all you did was change the cable. Mm. So that was an eye opener. And I, I knew about that. I, I had experience with some cables that you could do that with, but I didn't actually make one. And so I was starting to understand like the specs that I was like trying to get to like, okay, what's the capacitance rating I want? What kind of plugs and what kind of length? And, uh, I took it to a band practice. It was a cure, uh, tribute show. So this band, we only, nice. we only did one show and it was like, we were practicing for basically a year for the show, like 12 years ago, 13 years ago. And immediately the bass player is like, what's that cable? I was like, Oh, I made it. He's like, I want one. Like, can you make me one? I was like, sure. And I was, that was interesting because usually I usually have to pitch and sell something. You know? <laughs> yeah, so right. I was like, Oh, that was odd. And then suddenly it was like, everyone was asking for it. And then it was like friends of friends. And I was like, Hey, I heard you made, you know, you know, someone a cable, blah, blah. I want one too. And I was like, yeah, I totally make you one. And then the day that I got a phone call from a person, I did not know mm. who was in a band with someone that was a friend of a friend calls me. And I was like, wow, I don't even know you. And you're calling me for a cable and no website, no nothing. Right. And, uh, so that was the point where I was, okay, maybe this could be something, you know, maybe it could be, it could be something we could sell. And, um, it, it seems to have like an ease to it that I wasn't really expecting. And then immediately I started working on a website for it, real super simple website. And my goal was I made a Facebook page for it and, um, my goal was I wasn't going to invite any of my friends. That was my thing. Like, okay, I'm not going to, I'm going to tell anybody. I'm not going to post it anywhere. Uh, you know, I'm not going to post on my profile or anything. Right. So I'm just trying to like see if we can get a following on Facebook without Missoula involved, my little circle, my hub. And I think I did it for a year and actually got quite a few follows. And then finally it was like, okay, now we can, we can say something and see. And then some of all my friends are jumping on it. Um, because I was really just trying to try to prove to myself, like, is there a demand? Is this, is it something there? Is the, the brand name interesting enough? The product interesting enough? All these things that I, was, I, I wasn't sure about. And so I was not going all in. I didn't quit doing web development. That was, was a hobby. And then every year we didn't, you know, Amy and I didn't take a cent out of the business and we would just put it all back in. And manufacturing business is so different than service business. We didn't understand expense and inventory and cost of goods and cost of goods sold. It was just like all this stuff, like no idea, you know, in web, I was just take money, I buy a computer, the rest is profit. Right. It's basically it was just service, you know? Mm -hmm. And uh, when I bought plugs, I was thinking that was expenses and it was, it was all very confusing. So both Amy and I had to learn how to actually deal with the manufacturing business. And we just put all our money back in. And grew and grew and grew until the point where it was like, then there was the thing where I was like, this is what I want to do. Right. This is fun as a hobby and it was great, but this is, I, I think this is like so satisfying. And it was brutal at that time because I'd work nine to five web. And then as soon as I eat dinner, six o'clock, 
okay, rattlesnake time till midnight and go to bed and do that seven days a week. And mm-hmm. when we started getting our first people working there, they would come in at night, seven o'clock at night, eight o'clock to 11, work in our basement until the point where we can start downscaling our web development, which was big money. I'm like saying no to clients and like long existing paychecks and service agreements. I was like ending them. Mm. And, uh, and you know, we still haven't got a paycheck from rattlesnake, but I needed it the time I wanted that time. Mm-hmm. So eventually it got to, you know, just the mornings I was just doing web and then so I had the afternoons and then it was just, okay. Uh, during that time, did you find yourself like looking at the clock, like counting down how long till you could oh, go yeah. do the rattlesnake? Yeah. That, that was the fun. Yeah. And it was also, I was punishing myself too, because I'd be working on web and, and we have like a, a thing that goes ching when there's an order that comes in, you know, so I'd be working, but ching, ching. And I'm mean, like, I knew those are cables that need to get made. And oh yeah, I was like, I got to finish this thing so I can, you know, <laughs> it's going to be a busy night tonight. And uh, so it was great. You know, about 2018, 19, we finally uh, were able to cut all of our web clients out and then go full time. And then we started taking a paycheck, obviously. Yeah. And, uh, that's where, you know, we started building our team and so let's talk about that. So you launched what's called rattlesnake, yep. rattlesnake cables, yep. your company, uh, where, what, what does rattlesnake cables do? Well, we built high end. That's yeah, weird. Word. <laughs> Going right into that. Uh, uh, rattlesnake cable company builds high end instrument cables. Okay. So, I mean, we always feel like just every musician should have a great cable and that's what we are always wanting to try to achieve and, and give people that opportunity. And we always, uh, also sideline that with customer service. So there's a point too, where the component of our business is where we want to make sure a musician has confidence and trust and a connection with the business that they're purchasing that product from. And so we always like having this relationship. So really rattlesnake cables builds all sorts of instrument cables, speaker cables, patch cables, mic cables, uh, for musicians. And you, you had mentioned earlier that you know, in launching this in Facebook, you wanted to see if the brand resonated with people, if they even cared. Mm-hmm. Obviously, you've put a lot of time, energy, effort into the brand, the marketing, the logo. Where did the name? I mean, I, I would assume you live up the rattlesnake originally. <laughs> everyone, uh, yeah, where's everyone in Missoula thinks that, right? So, so we don't we yeah. we don't live in the where's rattlesnake come from? So originally, uh, uh, my my good friend Leif is uh, one that helped actually come up with that name because I came up with the, the, the question of, I want a cable company that has some kind of connection with Missoula, mm-hmm. but I didn't want to do zoo town cables, <laughs> Zula cables. I didn't want to do that. Right? right. Right. And I wanted something that would have uh, appeal to multiple genres of players. Cause I didn't want death cables and skull. Ca- you know what I mean? Right. In a jazz guy I wouldn't want it. Right. And so I wanted to figure out all of these. And I, I remember throwing these problems to Leif and he just came right back. It was rattlesnake cable company. That's what you should name it. So just rattlesnake could be rattlesnake Creek, could be rattlesnake wilderness, could be rattlesnake area. It's just a tip of the hat to Montana mm-hmm. rattlesnake snakes. It's just a, it's just a tip of our, you know, tip of the hat to the region. It has that appeal where a, you know, a Tex-Mex blues player is right next to a metal dude, right next to a jazz guy. And they all can sit there and relate with rattlesnake, even though it's not like pigeonholing or stereotyping and excluding one genre from another. Right. So it really hit all those notes. I was just like, right when he said it, I was like, Oh my God, that's, yeah, that's it. Perfect. Yeah. Yeah. And then, you know, he's like, it feels like a snake and you know, there's all these things. And, and, uh, 
I was like, wow, that was the easiest, easiest decision ever. So I still think him every time I see him, like, man, thanks for the name. It's awesome. awesome. And great branding. I mean, logos, graphics. Yeah. I imagine now knowing your story, you manage the website and yeah. have your hands involved. <laughs> yeah. And that's how you still have one client and yeah, it's yeah. yourself. Yeah, but it's the worst client ever. Yeah, yeah. Well done. No, branding's <laughs> phenomenal. Uh, I'm interested, circling back to your story, what was so much more meaningful about creating cables than doing web design? Why did you want to do that? Well, it really, to me, it's about creating any kind of tool or interaction a musician can use. So I have a connection with the musician. Mm -hmm. um, you know, when I was making the pedals, I had this like vision, like, oh, I can't wait till I'm like 80 years old and I'm not cool enough and relevant enough to play in a band in, in you know, a cool little place. But I want to be that weirdo that the, the, you know, the 20 something year old musician comes in and is like, can you make me the thing that does the thing? And I'm like, yeah, let's do this. Right even though I'm not doing that and it's just cables, there's still an element of I'm helping them create their music. And that's really fulfilling when you mm -hmm. see it and you go on stage and you say, wow, everyone, everyone of those players are using a rattlesnake. It feels really good. And it's yeah, like, they're, they're using it to, you know, get their art done. And, and that's, that, that aspect is super fulfilling. Yeah. You know? So I was, I wasn't really worried about, Oh, it's just a cable. It's really doesn't mean it means a lot to me. So, you I know, with, without that cable, it doesn't matter. Yeah. So, yeah. Hank, what's like the average cost for a cable on your website? Uh, average cost, uh, they go from $59.99, so 60 bucks is probably the lowest you can go with for a, a 10-footer. Um, it all depends on if you want a mic cable or a speaker cable. But, you know, anywhere between like 40 and up to $80. So, you guys are doing some serious volume. I mean, you, you got rid of the web business and you're doing this full-time. I mean, that's a lot of cables. A lot to, of cables yeah, to yep. take care of your family. And that's yep. awesome. Yep. And you're no longer doing this in your basement. I take nope. it. Okay. No. Nope. Right. When, when did you guys purchase your own property? Uh, for the it was a uh, 2000, it was a year and a half ago. So, you know, during, during the pandemic, we were, we were looking, I mean, we were, we were bumping elbows. Uh, there was, you know, the guy right next to me, I could hit him while we we're soldering cables. That's mm -hmm. how close we were. And when there'd be multiple people down there, I mean, you're, you're just like, you know, like squeaking by everyone, excuse me, you know, behind you. And, uh, yeah. And it was, it was always a really fun vibe and it was great having in there. And, uh, we just were bursting at the seams and we were looking for lease spaces and it was just so expensive. And we just found a really great deal on this property and we were able to beg, borrow and steal and pull it out and wow. get it. Now, when we walk around there, I'm like literally embarrassed that I, like made everyone deal with that for so long. You know, it's like we have a break room. We used to open up a card table in the middle of our basement in the winter time. And, you know, I think that, yeah, I think they have fond memories of it, but I still, there's a part of me that's like, man, I'm so sorry they had to deal with that. Yeah. yeah. Well, I'm, I'm kind of insecure right now because we got cables all over the place in our studio and I'm wondering what, what Hank's thinking of, oh, our, yeah. of our podcast cables yeah, here. Yeah, just think of the potential. Yeah. <laughs> oh my gosh. Yeah. We're going to start well, getting solicited. Yeah, this yeah, pod would be ads. so much like clearer maybe. I don't yeah. know. I don't know. Yeah, the frequencies <laughs> would be so much better on my voice. We'll bring you on as a consultant. Yeah. We we'll see what we can cable. do. Uh, Hank, I would imagine some pretty big name musicians out there purchased your cables, have used them. Uh, that's got to feel great to have those reviews or endorsements any of those stories you can share with us uh i mean all the big i always just joke around like all the big ones they don't even know who i am but they they sometimes they actually get to use the cable so like robert smith is is one my hero mm -hmm. but it's because i was working with the guitar tech so i mean mm -hmm. robert doesn't know who i am sure maybe he does but i doubt it 
She just knows not. his tech got him. Yeah. Nice cable. You know, so there's, there's a lot yeah. of like heroes that I was able to send cables to when I could, um, you know, yeah, yeah, Yaz are using them right now. So I'm, I'm friends with their guitar tech and, uh, yeah. Uh, the ones, the, the, the range that I absolutely love are what I just call like the, the real semi-pro or pro musicians where they're not rock stars. That's mm -hmm. the difference. Mm -hmm. Rock stars get free stuff all day and you know, they're rock stars. Yeah. The, the semi-pro and the pros are the ones, smaller bands, but you know, literally are on two or 300 days a year. They've been doing it for 10 years. That's the level that, you know, that they love to be in. So there's, you know, bands like Earthless that, that use it, Russian Circles. And these are just, you know, the, the bands that you play at the Wilma, that they're just hardworking. So when they get a deal on cables or they get free cables, they, they are like, whoa, that's awesome. Thank you. You know, because yeah. they, they're hard on their gear and they're just just running all the time. You know, eventually they're going to hit that next level. But I, I, I really love enjoying working with that tier of bands yeah. primarily because it's just like and they're they're the ones that are great because they're, they're, they talk about you and they um they they often are on tour with other bigger bands because that's mm -hmm. what they're doing they're just running a circuit and they're just like hopping on different tours all year. and they're marketing for you yeah yeah if they, so. i mean if they love the product mm -hmm. yeah uh hank you got such a cool story and i can tell that you're passionate um just because a lot of entrepreneur entrepreneurs out there listen to the show we don't want to act like it's all been easy for you, but so what is like some of the challenges you're now facing as a business owner in Missoula recently that maybe you can tell us a little I mean, bit about or a, how have you overcome it? It's the same stuff I'm sure everyone goes through. Uh, you know, supply chain was a nightmare for us. We used to have our cable mill and it used to take six weeks, put a purchase order in and we'd have, we'd have cable delivered in six weeks. And then it turned into three months, six months, nine months now. Uh, copper prices are at all time high. Uh, uh, our plugs used to get them, used to just order them every month. And now it's, you know, it's, it's three, four months out. So now you have to like tie in all your cash into inventory, which, you know, before we didn't have to have quite so much inventory. So that, that's, that was always a struggle. Um, it's getting better every, it seems like every month it seems to be a little better, but there's still, uh, fear. I'm always waiting for the supply chain to tighten up and then you get caught with, you know, if you're a cable company, you can't run out of cable or plugs. It's just, those are just two facts right there. So <laughs> we, we got to make sure we don't. And that's always a, a panic mode where we're like, okay, if it is getting weird, do we have enough? Do we got three months, four months, six months, whatever we have. Um, so that, that's a thing. Um, you know, labor, uh, we have like a fantastic team. So we've been so lucky to have such a great team stick with us and be a part of our, part of our group. Um, but yeah, I think it's just the, a lot of the stuff that everyone goes through. Um, and then marketing challenges. I think we're always just trying to figure out how to keep pushing when it's not great. Yeah. You know, Are you, where is most of your advertising come from? Are you guys digital ads? Is that? Yep. Yep. So we, we primarily focus on, our mailing list uh, to uh, digital ads, Facebook and Google, primarily. We've explored a few other things, uh, but uh, that's where I just think, I think a lot of businesses, what, when I talk to business owners, I think they have a problem with is when things are like flatlining, they just tend to like hunker. Mm -hmm. And it's just like, I think it's all about pushing, pushing through it. Even if it's a bad month, you should try to figure out how to make that the best month every month instead of being so 
reactive and passive instead of just yeah. being active and seeing oh. what do we got to do to make it a best month. Hank, for you as a business owner, business leader, HR, I mean, doing all, <laughs> doing everything you do as an entrepreneur, what at the end of the day, what, what do you consider a win in business? A win in business. I mean, to me, I, I, I just think knowing your numbers and eliminating guesswork and every day is to be somewhat predictive is to me is my win. So I, I look at numbers every morning. I have a daily scorecard that I look through and every day I'm sitting there assessing where I, where I am in the day, the week, the month, and the quarter and the year every day. And so there's, there shouldn't be any surprises. So is that where you would attribute your success to as a misnomer? I think, back I to think that, that's that part card? of it. Yeah. I think it's part of it. I, I've told, I've told many people that I feel like COVID actually made us a bit much better business because that's the beginning of before we used to just do business like everyone else, just like money comes in, money goes out and like, Oh, it was a better month than last month. Oh, great. That was surprising, you know, that kind of stuff. And then when COVID hit and that scramble that made us, okay, let's understand our expenses and how much are we spending on this? And we need to make this much to break even. And, and it really, you know, sharpen the saw as they say, you know, but it's amazing. Hank, we're really uh, thankful that we got such an awesome business here in Missoula. And what it seems like to me that you've mixed all your passions into this baby right here. And that's why it's been successful. Um, so we wish you the best of luck. We've, Really enjoyed having you on the, the podcast. Awesome. And, and yeah, if people want to get find more information, how do they get in touch with you? Website, domains, where where are you located? I mean, we got we're on we're on the socials with Rattlesnake Cables. Um, our website's rattlesnakecables.com. I don't know if it's cool, but I, I have a like a discount for listeners. Oh, absolutely. absolutely. That'd right. be amazing. You go to Missoula or uh, rattlesnakecables.com slash the Missoula podcast, there'll be a discount. And look at that. I feel like we've just arrived. <laughs> we have our own domain on another website. <laughs> but uh, again, www.rattlesnakecables.com forward slash the Missoula podcast. Yeah, if you're you a musician, it. check it out. Yeah. He's got some really cool stuff. That's cool. awesome. Very Thanks generous of you. Me. Appreciate it, Hank. Best of luck to you and all that is to come in the future of Rattlesnake Cables. Cool. Thanks for having me.